0: Psychic Self-Defence Part 5 Masks and Muzzles It's been around a year since I started thinking about making this series on critical thinking and scientific thinking. The reason I started exploring this topic was because I could see a number of things happening that frightened me. Aside from the virus outbreak itself, there was an expanding quantity of nonsense circulating about the virus on the internet, which was starting to spill over into real life blended in with this misinformation and these half-baked theories was a set of political ideals, an anti-queer conservatism, racist nationalism and a pessimistic individualism. In this episode we're going to take a look at how that happened. We're going to take a look at how political activists on the far right have used social media to forward their agenda and how the very structures of social media platforms themselves are shaping political and social conversations and actions platforms like facebook and youtube have not just played a huge part in setting the agenda for what is considered conversation worthy they have also constructed their platforms in such a way that conversations inevitably become divided and polarized listening and comprehension have stopped this is slipping over into real life the ongoing civil conflict in the united states hasn't been completely caused by this but there's no doubt that social media has played a part it's happening here in ireland as well though at one of the anti-mask right wing led protests at the GPO that I attended in the in recent months, I overheard participants shouting at counter-protesters, calling them Antifa. So there was the the guys outside the GPO protesting as the lockdown and then there were some counter-protesters, anti fascist counter-protesters who showed up. And they were being ca- they were calling them Antifa. I'll play you a wee clip now. Are you Antifa? Are
1: you antifa? Are you antifa! antifa? What?
0: Now, the reason I'm drawing attention to this is because Antifa isn't the real thing. And, you know, maybe I'm just being a little bit pedantic here, but Antifa, right, Antifa is short for anti-fascism. It's not a centralized organization. It's a set of ideals and a way of organizing. If you're against fascism and you organize to resist fascists, you're Antifa. Antifa is what they say in America, and it's been turned into a kind of bogeyman by the American media and the government to distract American citizens from the many systemic problems they have there. It's even been classified as a terrorist organisation, despite the fact that it isn't one single organisation. There are a number of organisations and individuals who are anti-fascist and call themselves anti-fa, but there's no group called Antifa, and if there was, it wouldn't make sense to call it Antifa, because it's anti-fa. Any group or individual here in Ireland or in Europe who is an anti-fascist would say Antifa. Antifa is how they pronounce it in America for some reason. And anyway look, okay, maybe I am being a little bit pedantic and I don't want to dwell on this too much but it's it's significant that this guy, this Irish fella on on O'Connell Street, this anti-lockdown protester used the word Antifa. The fact that an Irish fella is shouting Antifa and a bunch of people he knows nothing about tells me that this man spends a lot of time watching US news content on the internet. Because he didn't learn that word in the streets of Dublin. He didn't get his political ideals from socialising and organising with Irish activists. He got it from the internet. The algorithms of YouTube and Facebook have shaped this man's worldview by curating what he sees based on whatever gets him to engage the most. Usually what makes us engage is what makes us emotional, what makes us sad or angry. That's why critical thinking is really so important. Not just so we can debunk all the nonsense that gets thrown at us and be able to defend our positions and ourselves, but so that we can be aware of where our own thoughts are coming from, to be sure that we aren't the ones doing the bullshitting. And most importantly, so we can be aware of when we are being distracted and manipulated by social media platforms that we all rely on so much. So this episode is gonna be an interview with activist and researcher, Mark Malone. I recorded this chat with him a year ago exactly nearly a year ago which is a little bit embarrassing i should have got it out a lot earlier than this but things have certainly developed since then but it's all still frustratingly relevant what we're talking about right uh, we're talking about social media and how it's used for political ends uh, and he makes the point ultimately that it's the social media platforms that have the responsibility to govern themselves ethically and where we can and should educate ourselves and become more media literate and more critical critically minded uh, and that's what I've been focusing on, that it's important not to shift responsibility onto the individual and away from the massively wealthy companies that are benefiting from our angst and directionless rage. I really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciated Mark's perspective on things and it definitely had an impact on the previous episodes and what I looked into for the previous episodes. So I'm just going to play the whole interview in full and um, I hope you enjoy it. And we met outdoors, so there's a few seagull cameos throughout as well. Okay, so I'm sitting with uh, Mark Malone, who is an independent researcher and activist, um, and you look into, I suppose you you look at the far right in Ireland and their activities, the organising activities online and in in real in the real world in meat space as they call it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of been um, looking, I guess, at the use of online platforms um, as kind of organising spaces, uh, for. Um. Yeah. Kind of racist organizing, homophobic organizing, and far right organizing over a while. Um. I have a bit of, I guess, a background in in an interest. I guess in 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 the use of social media. I did some research around the time of the Egyptian Revolution. Um. In 2011, 12 the start of the what became called the Arab Spring. Um. Was quite curious. I guess around how um movements and and different types of actors kind of use um online platforms and social media. Um, as part of and as tools for, for organizing. So I was always kind of curious, I guess, around that stuff. Um, and then later on, that kind of fed into, I guess, just seeing some stuff on Facebook around the growth of, like, you know, anti-Islam groups, anti-Muslim groups, which you wouldn't have historically kind of seen a lot of um, in Ireland, you know. So that started, I guess, in 2015. And then just kind of, yeah, kind of dipping in and out of stuff, looking at that and kind of curious of, like, um how that kind of stuff is growing, really.
0: Next, I asked Mark to talk about how the far right have been using social media over the last few years, in Ireland specifically.
1: Quite similar, I guess, to where it's been it's been used internationally. Um, they're, you know, so you can kind of look at the platforms themselves, so you can kind of, you know, there's, there's the usual kind of ones that we're quite familiar with, which like Twitter, or Facebook, YouTube. <clears throat> then there's <clears throat> perhaps other kind of closed spaces, or perhaps spaces, that would be less familiar with, like historically, there would have been like image boards like Four Chan, Eight Chan, which got pulled. Increasingly, other alternative video spaces like BitChute and um other forums like Gab. So there's a variety of different types of platforms that they mm. use. You know, you know, you get these kind of projects that that spring up in response to kind of moderation. You know, so Eight Chan grew out of Four Chan. Um, as as an image board in response to what was seen as kind of censorship, you know, Nazis feeling they were being censored, I guess, right? So they 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 have like yeah, they just basically rip codes and set up their own kind of platforms. Bitute something similar. Gab is it like an online kind of space, it's kind of something similar to Twitter? Um, again, very specifically frames itself as like absolute free speeches, but essentially it's a space where Nazis go and hang out.
0: A criticism of censorship is common among far right activists. In general, I agree. I also don't like censorship. Are these platforms set up for free speech or are they set up by the right for the right? Many right-wing protesters talk about freedom and free speech. If that's all that's important to them, then where's the conflict?
1: I mean, so I think most people are think free speech is really important. I think free yeah. speech is really important. Um, what we're seeing, we, yeah, I think this is sort of how these, these new platforms get set up. They're very, very specifically there for communities um, around kind of, yeah, organizing right-wing politics yeah. um there it's coded into the dna of the structures the same it goes with like bulletin boards like you see like political irish um it would say it's like a free speech forum that grew out of like you know getting booted off boards.ie but essentially it's a it's a it's a
0: space where racists and nazis go hang out in ireland yeah. um we so it's we her- could probably go off on a tangent here but i suppose mm-hmm. would you be able to talk about what do they mean when they say free speech
1: what they mean is the ability to use, um, organizing methods, um, and to use ways of describing people that kind of demonize them, that other, other them to come out with like straight up kind of homophobia, race baiting science, like the whole kind of area of teasing out free speech. It's probably a, it's an episode in its own, right? It's, it's, it's really kind of complex. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a. In any other way other than that, like, it's quite hard to, to pin that down into something that's quite short and sweet. Mm. But I think, like, many other kind of types of themes, um, the far right will adopt them as kind of umbrella approaches, mm. while actually they're using the smuggling, other kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Such as kind of white supremacy, essentially, homophobia, um, transphobia, that are kind of coded in, and they use particular themes, whether that be, like, free speech Pedophilia, you know, mm-hmm. touchstone kind of easy stuff to easy kind of get behind. That, that, yeah. yeah, essentially. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of my take on it. Was always the what they seem to mean by free speech is free speech without any consequences, which is that's just not how life works. You, you can say what you want, but you need to be prepared to deal with people being angry with you for yeah. saying it. You know what I mean? You can't just. It's kind of a childish thing, almost, to be like oh, I can say what I want. It it
1: it totally is, and it's it's mm-hmm. that bit of like um, the idea that like. These kind of principles exist, you know, or, or that any kind of speech it like isn't, isn't an action as well and, and exists in a kind of vacuum yeah, without yeah. either the con- consequences, whether that be like the hurt that you're deliberately providing or the types of things that if you said that in a pub sitting beside somebody, you'd likely get a wallop yeah, and yeah. that's, you know, but actually you, the idea is that you get to say that stuff um, a lot of times quite anonymously yeah, using the platforms, yeah. I guess, as
0: well, without any of the consequences that you generally would expect if you, if you come out with some of the stuff suppose you gave gave a rundown there of the different platforms and ones that grew out of increased moderation or as they would say censorship Mm -hmm. on the the bigger platforms, the more established platforms. Um, Could you talk a little bit maybe about how they use the more mainstream, I guess the ones that most people would be familiar with. So you've got Facebook and then I guess YouTube is a a little, there's a bit more scope for anonymity on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you talk maybe about how they've used those over the last number number of years?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess um for some of us that were kind of watching this stuff uh, kind of grow initially what what first kind of piqued our interest i guess was or came to our attention was the use of uh facebook and that was around uh, very specific small groups or, um, that were pushing kind of anti-islam um arguments which seemed to be kind of imported wholesale from the uk yeah, yeah. um but they were quite localized actually quite geograph- you know geographically bound small groups maybe no more than like um a dozen a dozen to like 30, 40 people at a particular time. <clears throat> and they had one or two moderators. The groups were kind of, um were public and then they went closed. Um, Obviously, there's ways you can kind of sit in groups and see what's going on. um, And those groups kind of were quite marginal, really tiny, but obviously, you're, you know, you kind of go with this really vile kind of stuff, you know, and kind of encouraging um, incitement and hatred and inciting violence, um, talking about like, you know, um, just talking about, you know, Ireland's going to be overrun by Islam. Absolute nonsense stuff. There's no bearing in reality at all and, and deeply rooted in, in I guess, xenophobia and later we kind of see, like, white supremacism. Um, but at the same, you know, and they're kind of related to real-world projects in the sense that there was an attempt to launch um, an organization called Identity Ireland um which you know uh, didn't didn't really work very well. Their their launch party was kind of or the lunch of the party was kind of
0: interrupted by um anti racist activists. And again that's that's part of the, like, that's an international thing, isn't it? Identity Europa it's in the States and it's in Europe as well. Like, yeah it's kind of a
1: And Identity Europa is like a very explicitly kind of white European uh project based in really poor social science in terms of like the historical development of Europe. But um, has its own internal cohesion around ideas of like, a, yeah, kind of European white supremacy, which is never just not. It's not actually how Europe's kind of developed in and of itself, anyway. So a lot of a lot of the, I guess, founding principles and ideas and mythologies and identities of these political organisations are complete fabrications of yeah, history yeah. themselves. They're misrepresentations of what's actually happened in the world. Um, but that doesn't seem to bother. That's not really what the point is, I guess. You know. Um, white supremacy is something you impose rather than a you know being historically true. Yeah. Yeah, Um, sorry. In in terms of like the the like so the use of the platforms, the use of Facebook, I guess in in that was like two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, and two thousand sixteen. What was a kind of new phenomena in Ireland, but is is a direct import from elsewhere is The use of um, kind of video, um, and the use of YouTube to create kind of channels for grifters. Um, <clears throat> that idea of grifters and import is like basically people who make money off pushing conspiracy theories, pushing like white supremacy, pushing homophobia, ratcheting up fear, a tapping into people's kind of insecurities, um. And trying to kind of, yeah, essentially kind of mobilize people to pay their money. So, this is there's a really rich, long history of this stuff in the US. It's, um, it's
0: would been would a, Alex Jones being an example of that.
1: Alex Jones would definitely be an example of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Alex Jones, um, prior to Alex Jones, there's been, you know, several kind of people, but Alex Jones would probably be the most prominent, um, in that space, particularly around kind of pushing conspiracy as well as, um, very direct kind of meta conspiracies such as the new world order you know deeply deeply anti-semitic uh, kind of trope and interestingly some of the sort of grifters in ireland um are very open about being um inspired by and learning their craft from um alex jones really you know yeah. so for your listeners like alex jones is someone who who um pushed the idea that sandy hook were over 70 i think it was like 70 kids uh, were massacred, shot dead, between, like under the ages of seven and eight. Um, promoted the idea that that was a false flag, that it didn't happen, that the parents were actors. Um, and currently, I think in in a lawsuit around some of the some of the the out the uh, fallout, I guess from from pushing conspiracies like that. You know, um, one of the key. Um, folks in the US in recent history, I guess, in terms of pushing the idea that like you know most mass, uh, murders, mass guns, school murders, were were fake, um, and and so Alex Jones himself has kind of built built a massive industry around that. Obviously, part of the part of the model in that as well is like you're pushing. Actually, as a pull pusher, right? So he's pushing pills, pushing like a you know really dodgy kind of nutritious kind of like um, kind of bullshit bull- bullshit health stuff. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, what's key, I guess, in that is a relationship to any kind of concept that we have, or the concept that we would all kind of hold around, kind of truth, honesty, um, and even where truth is contested around, you know, an ability to understand there's different perspectives. Um, the likes of Alex Jones and these characters fucking make stuff up, you know. Actually, fabricate stuff, you know. Um, and in some sense, like looking at it from the outside, you know, if you watch the stuff initially yourself, you just kind of go, "This is this is like make believe, you know. This is kind of fantasy. Is this kind of you know a comedy?
0: Is this uh is this a a, a piss take? Is it a spoof of itself? What yeah. is it?" You I know? remember hearing about him years ago when I was a lot younger, and I thought he was. I thought it was great because I, th- I had no concept of the idea that people might actually find this plausible or take yeah. it seriously. I I yeah, full yeah. on thought this is clearly some kind of parody yeah. and it's hilarious. Yeah. And then I I, I was pure and innocent. Like it gra- gradually dawned on me no oh, actually you know, this guy's trying to come across as the real thing. You know uh, beyond like professional wrestling level of I, that, that's, don't, that's, d- don't mention it. You know what I mean? It was like exactly what people was really say. take it full on seriously and I couldn't that was, it was frightening then when, I, when it dawned on me. And then of course he became more famous over the last few years with the Sandy Hook stuff and there was no kind of hiding then from how, just how real it was, how how much sway him and people like him have. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're saying the influence he's had now, there is more. I know he's kind of, like, he's dealing with lawsuits and I know he's uh, he's been taken off several platforms, but he's mm-hmm. the effect he's had now at this stage is there's plenty more like him.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, you know, he got to the stage where, where you know, his audience has been halved, but like that audience is still like multiples of millions, um. So the, you know the the sort of the uh, the impact is kind of there already. But what what that kind of what what himself and others have done is kind of created a model, um, and template of constantly pushing out content, and the first thing you say is like, hey, like, subscribe, give me cash. Give me cash, you know, got to feed the beast. um, And that creates its own kind of dynamic because actually if this is, if, if, if you're in this gig, like supposedly, you know, you, you tell everybody you're there because you care about the idea of what you're about and the, you know, the, how the, the, the elites are ruining the world, you know, with like, the, I guess that's always a kind of paradigm, I guess as well, right. Is is the, the idea of this overarching kind of elite, which yeah, has yeah. control of the world without any reference to capitalism without any reference to like actual historical materialism it's like, you know, workers power, a, you know, deep structural inequalities, which historically have been the, the the sort of the space where the the left kind of occupies. Um, the far right tries to kind of uh, pitch itself and rub some of the clothes whilst at the same time adopting a really reactionary positions around, um, how you apportion the blame of like structural inequality or really simplistic answers around like how power actually operates in terms of, um, a creating cartoon characters out of like politicians or out of, um, yeah, geopolitical infrastructures, um, organizations, stuff like that. Um, again, they're not in the, in the context of like that bit of like critical thinking. They're not really interested in encouraging people to think for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And one of the ironies, I guess, of, of fire organizing is that, you know, they talk a lot about, you'll see the term sheep will use a lot, you know, and you need to wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And actually what they're in effect are doing is like, they're just dripping a dope into people's heads. And it's like, no, they're putting them to sleep, putting them to sleep. Like it's, it's, it has the opposite impact, I think, in terms of like developing kind of a critical awareness of, of thinking about how the world operates because it provides really simplistic kind of answers to, to things, you know?
0: Yeah. One of the, the kind of the main book I read in preparing for this episode is uh, Carl Sagan, uh, The Demon Haunted World. It's about science and pseudoscience and why pseudoscience appeals to people. Mm-hmm. And he mainly, like he's, he's an astronomer, so he mainly focuses on UFO conspiracies, but everything he says kind of applies to conspiracy theories more broadly. But he, he puts it down to, um, the main thing I took away from him is that people who get into this sort of stuff aren't stupid or crazy. Because that's often what gets thrown at someone who's mad into conspiracy theories, is that mm-hmm. they're either thick or they're... Yeah there's something wrong with the, the mental health wise which is a, a fucked up thing to say about anyone anyway mm-hmm. but um, like they're, where they're coming from is fundamentally a mistrust of authority which is not a bad place to start from it's, mm-hmm. I mean it's good not to just accept something because an authority says it yeah. and then the way he put it was it's an impatience with ambiguity it's 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 the discomfort that comes with there being multiple answers to the same question or with there being kind of grey area it's like no, there has to be a straightforward okay maybe not straightforward but like you said a simplistic answer that also appeals to the sense of wonder that there's more to life than just the banal day-to-day stuff. Yeah. Um, And that seems to be what kind of Alex Jones very successfully tapped into, was that sense of wonder and also the need to have a clear answer to to grip onto. How how has that been, like you you mentioned briefly the kind of how Irish far-right folks have started to kind of use that model on YouTube. Can you talk a bit about that, how that's manifested?
1: Well, I mean, certainly in the in the in the context of where we are now, um, in the middle of a, a a global pandemic, um, that's kind of at the minute running away globally, even though it's kind of relatively well contained at the moment in Ireland. Mm. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Um, there's actually genuine uncertainty around like what the future kind of looks like. Yeah. Um, people talk about it in the language of like, well, do we get back to normal? Whilst underneath that, have a sense that actually you know, we have to rethink what kind of normal is, you know. From a left wing perspective, that's useful in yeah. a way, I was right. But uh, I think I think uh Sagan kinda of nails stuff around that that kind of question around clarity. Um it's something that everybody wants in their life. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's something that yeah that that the capacity to live with um or to deal with yeah vagueness as it pertains to your own kind of inner pains, perhaps right, or you know, um, how how life is, and so I think, for example, <clears throat> in the yes, in the context of a pandemic, where you have, yeah, a, a, a mistrust of kind of authorities, um, and as you say, like that's that's I think that's really legitimate and kind of essential to not just defer to kind of authority It all; should be pushed, explained, and and, and forced to explain itself.
0: Um, getting joined by the neighborhood birds. Here yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're they're concurring. Um, I think that w- where where you have kind of massive kind of uncertainties like we have now, and that they're not just individual; they're kind of massive and they're social, and we don't really have a a rich kind of media landscape that talks about this a lot, you know, or, um, I think that bit of, of also what you kind of said about not treating people as stupid is kind of key. I think that a lot of political discourse and a lot of political organizations as it's done and the government, um, or governments successively do tend to treat people as, as not necessarily stupid, but I mean, there's very limited kind of input into people have beyond the act of voting every couple of years, you know? So the, the ability for people to actually have agency and effect change in their own lives in the midst of, of massive kind of insecurities, um, and then you have someone like some of the, some of the prominent, I can name them like prominent kind of far right YouTubers in Ireland, um, who some of it had, you know, longer histories in journalism and kind Mm. of were relatively well respected, come along and start, um, proffering really simplistic um kind of tropes that tap into those insecurities um and and put very specific fears into this kind of grand narrative of of meaning making um and i think that's one of the you know in the sense that like during the crash i guess right um or post crash like the left had a tremendous defeat and the left historically has been quite good at um Oh, one just just one, so
0: clarity, you're talking about the financial crash. 2008 sorry, the, sorry, yeah, the
1: financial crash in 2008. Um, like we saw a, a defeat of the left, both in terms of social movements, trade union movements, uh, whatever. Like those kind of institutions that have that have tended to hold long narrative arcs of like how society kind of works, uh, what the tensions are, where the struggles are, um, describe. You know, has an ability to describe like how capitalism. Is working not sometimes better descriptions than others but that actually were able to help people kind of make sense of the world around them um and i think a lot of that meaning making has kind of dissipated or been lost in in the collapse of and reduction of the sort of the space that left-wing
0: kind of movements um held up by meaning making do you mean like being ready with explanations as to why how we wound up where we are now kind of make sense of the world
1: yeah being ready being ready to make yeah being ready i guess in some senses but also these were types of knowledges that were embodied in communities already so it wasn't around like hey you know because the newspaper didn't come out it's like no you were in the union and you know you just kind of knew like how you know you had a sense of like a how capital kind of worked um and I think c- combined with, like, I guess decades of kind of neoliberal politics, which has kind of led to a very much kind of individualized notion of like how the kind of world works, <clears throat> um, a massive decrease in kind of union density. And that's, you know, not to over the point of the collapse of the trade union movement, Like, but I think that the sort of the social the infrastructure and fabric uh, where there was a retention of like, you know, how society kind of works or one of the yeah, big yeah. kind of power structures within yeah. it, that's kind of dissipated a lot. And into that spaces, um, small kind of right-wing kind of movements are, are kind of popping up to make explanations for yeah. different types of social phenomena, perhaps, you know. Um, and part of that, definitely, in the in the period of the crisis where you have, you know, there's really strong critiques to make of, For example, the question of, like, um, the role of pharmaceutical companies, corporations in society, right? really, really strong critiques around kind of access to medicine. What types of medicines get decided to be researched and and developed the ability for people to actually access medicines in the first place, the decisions to develop kind of medicines that are primarily a profit driven in the sense that, you know, prevention is a lot less uh, Mm -hmm. explored in terms of like health outcomes by corporations than something that you know that people are going to be dependent upon. Um so I think there's there's really valid questions around the role of um and the you know the absence of democratic control over say the production of medicines in our societies. Um you and that includes then questions of like vaccination, right? However, as we've seen recently in Ireland where the sort of the pushback against measles vaccinations has kind of led to a rise in kind of measles outcomes. Like the in in, you know that question of like your individual choice to decide not to vaccinate you know not vaccinate your kids or whatever has a massive impact um, socially beyond your kind of self you know and so these questions do need to be thrashed out openly um, and in ways where people kind of have information about what the impacts are, what the threats are, what the impacts are, what social implications of like whatever kind of decisions you know, and instead those questions have, you know have seemed to happen in spaces where you have kind of nefarious actors who aren't really interested in science um they're not actually really interested in public health they're not interested in social goods um what they're interested in is pushing a particular agenda and taking a whatever the theme is of the day and trying to to run with that you know um vaccinations has always been a kind of a key a theme within conspiracy land, you know?
0: That's been one of the particularly mad ones that's come up recently is that the coronavirus was deliberate, COVID-19 was deliberate as part mm. of a plan so that Bill Gates can vaccinate everyone. Or there's various different flavours of that. Ver- there's
1: various different flavours. They range from, the, and the vaccination actually is, is going to be a tracking device.
0: Or like a nanobot
1: A nanobot, right? <laughs> so you can, maybe someone with a joystick somewhere is going to like, you know, remote control you or something. Um, and... Yeah, so ver- various kind of, various variations of that. And I mean, it's, it, you know, it's hard not to laugh because it is so fucking off the wall somewhat, right? At the same time, it's like uh, when people are kind of desperate and you're surrounded, say, for example, in a Facebook group of like 100, 120 people, 1,000 people who are kind of willfully encouraging, trying to make sense of stuff. And then you have like people like these grifters presenting Fake information, you know. There's one member of a political organisation who, who had a doc has a, has a you know her researches in in microbiology, but actually absolutely nothing to do with like uh, vaccinations or viruses and like her her science is totally debunked or whatever you know. But wrapping wrapping your bullshit in in uh, plausibility, i have been able to um again. Just drip, drip, drip this idea that actually what there's is a new world order, and we're kind of being we're run over by these migrants, and actually the teachers all want to like sexually abuse our kids, and you know, um, yeah, and they want to vaccinate you, and Bill Gates wants to like control your body and gonna kind of turn you into a robot um. These are all kind of wrapped up in kind of bits of like plausibility, where people kind of use their either their academic, profe- you know, academic credentials, their historical journalist credentials, former British soldier credentials, um, or as YouTube celebrities. You know, so there's a recreation of people as a uh, the, the creation of people and production of people as authentic, legitimate sources of information, um, in ways. Again, if you look at from the outside just as a photograph you'd kind of go that's bananas this does not make sense but actually when you see stuff as a kind of longer term process and dynamic where people become a both inured by the celebrities aspect of of these people as kind of legitimate sources but also then part of an inside group and where everybody in the outside is the sheeple. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. the thick people. And actually, you're enlightened. You have this clarity. You're getting that sense of um, connection with people, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know if that, does that answer?
0: I think so, yeah. But do you think that's kind of what's at the source of a lot of this stuff is, like you, you mentioned earlier, uh neoliberalism. And one of the most frightening symptoms for me of neoliberalism is the social isolation. Um now i i love spending time by myself i love privacy I, I i cherish it but it does seem to be something that's a bit of uh it's the more the years go by it becomes more and more of an issue of people being cut off from one another mm-hmm. and like old ways of relating and the sense of community kind of breaking down a bit and i think is that where a lot of this or where a lot of these people are being drawn from is people that don't have much of a sense of connection to the world around them and then get that sense of connection through the screen
1: I, I that's definitely part of it um I think like there's definitely bits of like personal biography tied up into uh, you know are situated in yeah the erosion of structures of care, whether that be in kind of um historically maybe stronger kind of senses of community um whether that be kind of the precarious nature of work uh people kind of moving around a lot more um and and really, I think, yeah, that that bit of, like, how capitalism has kind of worked in the last 30, 40 years, it's like, it's the idea of, like, social solidarity has been, under, you know, deliberately kind of undermined Um, without rehashing the, like, Thatcher, that bit where it's like society doesn't exist, you know. We're all individual atoms um, moving around and motivated by our own self kind of interest, which patently isn't tr- true, actually. Um, and the entire project, I guess, of neoliberalism was to kind of recreate the social imagination so that that's actually how people understand themselves. Um, so rather than to have to try to, to force people to do something against their will, if you've actually internalized this kind of logic um, of being atomized or whatever, then you're it's, it's much easier for... that. That's just what common sense is. Yeah, yeah. But the flip side of that is, is the sort of alienation, the social isolation. Um. And the sort of, the very human desire, I guess, to be, to be, um, part of, part of groups, part of communities, part of whatever, you know, um, and I think then there's, like, it's, there's, there's, there is a collapse of social legitimacy in, 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 uh, representative democracies. Like, I think there's a bit where it's patently clear that, um, representative democracies have failed to live up to what they've told us, what they're at. Yeah. yeah. So So there's a lack of,
0: well, you can just look at how many people turn out for elections, even in a good year. There's a real lack of engagement there. And it's because people don't have, don't have the faith in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lack of engagement. Um, there's an inability to defend even the most basic of, of, of human needs around kind of health. And this is, this is outside the pandemic, right? Mm. Like, but like the basic needs of health, housing, a job security community infrastructure you know been able to deal with climate change in a way that like actually gives people a vision of what the future is going to be like um that's based on like sustainability and based on like care essentially like we you know been able to say like yeah the things are fucked but we're gonna we're the, the idea of like how we're all going to work together in this is to is to resolve this there's an absence of that at all um and so I think in that absence people try to form um, you know, spaces and places and organizations and movements that try to either resolve that for themselves, um, or as we see in the in the from the perspective of the far right, is like attribute and apportion blame for those social circumstances on a people that invariably have nothing to do with it. It's kind of deflection. Um and so in 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 an odd way. The far right, who who, who pitch themselves as kind of the you know, pitch themselves as kind of the resolvers of like the the some the, the more multiple crises that we face in, are actually the deflectors of the actual genuine causes of the multiple crises that we're kind of in. But at that same time, they afford people, um, small numbers of people like this isn't you know they're not massive here, but they afford spaces for people to feel kind of identity. You know, um, it's curious that people would think that the the resolution to like the multiple crises that we face around kind of housing, around health, around climate change, um, is nationalism is a fucking flag. Like literally that it's kind of, it's kind of bonkers. Right. Um, it's a real politics of fear. Um, and whatever about the, without besmirching the intelligence of people who actually get involved with stuff, it's really fucking
0: stupid politics. Um, in the sense of what purports to, to resolve. I was trying to make sense of it in terms of the like the protests about the lockdown itself and about, about masks and stuff and it, in one way it seems like it's kind of just taking whatever's going on in America and doing the same thing here so okay they're protesting against the lockdown so we will as well, they don't like masks and so no, we don't like masks either or is it just whatever the government says we'll do the opposite because we're the legitimate kind of authority, we're the ones who know what's going on so well, I I, I just couldn't make sense of that. Like, what would be the purpose of denying the reality of the virus, or like denying the the utility of social health measures? I just it, that seems like a very basic thing to go. That's yeah, to be against. you know. Yeah,
1: and I, 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 this is one of the things you run into up against all the all the time, which is like approaching this stuff through the lens of rationality. Um, it doesn't work. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. It's literally yeah, like it. It you know a you know take chemtrails right it's a conspiracy that like there's you know we're being slowly poisoned and made stupider because and, and there's airplanes being flown around and, and spraying stuff like it fucking off the wall stuff right it's, so to approach that stuff in the with with and i think that's where questions of like you know slurs around kind of stupidity and stuff come in right not that useful but i think it's kind of legitimate to kind of go where the hell is somebody come from that actually think that you know because it's it's it doesn't make any sense at all. There's no ability to stand over it. Um, Like, I, I, probably like yourself, right, I could see the mask stuff in the U.S. Like, I mean, the U.S. is a fucking clusterfuck, right? But it's like, so you have the politicization of questions such as, like, public health measures, right? And so people kind of wear them as badges of allegiance, right, on the right, you know? Like, so I don't even think it's like, I don't think a mask, wearing a mask during a pandemic that's, you know, that seemed to be airborne and transmitted and and comes in through your your mouth and nose is a left-wing argument. It's not, right? It's a public health (laughs) (laughs) argument. And yet what we've seen starting in the U.S. is is the idea that this kind of really absurdish notion of personal liberty personal liberty itself in principle is not an absurdist notion right but this interpretation and wrapping it up into a particular form of of activity which is like well it's my right to not wear a mask you know um and that's the hill you want to die on literally like (laughs) like, it's like but also that is like i i want to retain my right to maximize the possibility of me spreading this to other people it's actually really dark Yeah, yeah it's dark yeah, I mean, I it's, it's so again, right? So there's a bit of like trying to unpick it. I'm not sure how much rational rationality comes to it. It's definitely been imported from the U.S. Like there's there's it again to approach it with rationality. It doesn't make sense that this would independently arise with a small group of people, um, like a tiny group of people, um, who share U.S. content all the time, um, in their in the groups that they're in, doing the exact same thing, you know. And coming up with the same kind of arguments, you know, and actually in 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 what's interesting in what's happened in Ireland is like it's afforded people the ability to pick the fucking mentalist of stuff. It's like it's acted like a filtration of of a batch of stuff, right? So it's like um that's had and played out, it's like Abbey market testing or whatever, like been picked up and then pushed by. Uh, the grifters that we, you know, on, on YouTube or
0: whatever, you know. I was going to say, yeah, it's hard to, um, it's hard to imagine a group like that forming around an idea like that without without the internet essentially, without social media, without the the platforms that they initially they they seem to start either around some YouTube personality or around a Facebook mm-hmm. group or whatever, and and grow out of that, Um and that's kind of getting into what I want this. Episode to be about, which is about, I suppose, mentally, mentally vaccinating yourself against the bullshit. I suppose, do you know what I mean? How to, because it could happen to any of us. But yeah, any of us could find. Because a lot of these stuff, like I said, like I said, it starts from a plausible place. It starts with some, God, there might be something going on there, and mm-hmm. then before you know it, you're, you know, knee deep in chemtrails or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so, how do you like? How do you? Discern good information from bad information. That's the initial question I wanted to ask. But then, the more I looked at it, I'm like it's 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 not that straightforward. as like how do you mm-hmm. judge an ad or like a paid ad from a genuine news article? It's like the structure of how social media feeds you information mm-hmm. is really what's at the what's driving this. Yeah. um could you talk about that maybe a bit more? I guess without getting too technical, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of. Um,
1: well, I can come out it a way that's not actually technical at all, right? Which is which is actually bringing it back to that that question of like, um, the relationship between individual literacy, or individual responsibility around literacy, um, and the structure of the organisations themselves and what they do, and I think whilst it's important to focus on to think about, like, how do we, how do we inoculate ourselves? How do we know where we're watching, where stuff kind of comes from? Um, that's, that's important. But I think what gets missed in that is because that it can also then end up being a kind of neoliberal response to like a really fucking deep rooted problem of like how modern capitalism works, which is like, you're talking about the biggest organizations on the planet now. Um, you know, Facebook is the 2 billion users um, daily. They are like, you know, they, they're, they're information and data gathering projects that take information about and from and data from us, repackage and sell that to advertisers, right? Um, So I think there's a bit of like, yeah, not to overlay with this, like, but the bit where it's like, actually, there's a responsibility or there's an absence of accountability from the organizations themselves. So for example, um, it's very clear, like I think that, that, um, podcast series that run by the New York Times, which, you know, pushing mainstream media, but like New York Times podcast, the, the rabbit hole is really essential listening in terms of like, um, illustrating pathways of radicalization through YouTube itself and the steps then that YouTube have been forced to take around the development or the impact, the social impact that their, their algorithms were having, you know, and I it goes into some details really worth to listening, like, um my fear sometimes around that question of like individual kind of literacies um is that it lets the organizations off the hook. And I think that there's like the, the you know, the likes of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube like I can already hear as I'm saying this on my ear, right? Questions of like censorship, trying to shut down, trying to whatever, right? And that's fine, I think you can kinda of hold these. But these are kind of institutions that um have massive social impacts. Like whether that be the sort of the rise in um self-harm in young girls and young boys through bullying online and kind of their own kind of self images. Seen the role that Facebook, WhatsApp played in the genocide in Myanmar, um uh organized by the Myanmar military against um Muslim minority communities. Um we have seen the actual methods by which Facebook repeatedly refuses to take responsibility and accountability um for the impact that its product has have by coming up with kind of bullshit um you know new new kind of new kind of a processes by which they kind of monitor stuff, always at a remove at I mean they did this really clever dance, right, where they started by saying um yeah but well we, we you know we do a, we don't have the resources to to monitor all this stuff, and they said, well, why don't you have the resources to monitor all this stuff? like you're making money out of uh, all this content like how do you not? and they kind of pushed back on that and pushed back on it at the start. they said, well, we're not a publisher, we're a platform, so therefore we're not accountable for what's what's whatever right their next um, move was to say, well actually a uh, we're just too big now to monitor all this stuff, you can't expect us to, 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 to like monitor all the stuff that's gone through and the, you know, we can't regulate what's happening on our platform. And then their next move was to say, well, actually, and this is the cleverest one, which is to say, well, well, actually we want governments to regulate us now. And so it's like, so they're spread right across the world and their response really cleverly was to say, well, we want all these hundreds of countries right, to come right, up yeah. with different ways individually you know assign their resources to how how you will regulate us and the main and and they're taking in like they're taking in the billions selling the billions um and it's it's a company that's fundamentally owned by one human being like he's retained massive individual kind of control you know and so whilst i think the questions of of literacy are really crucial and important um i think losing sight of The actual nature of the structures of the organisations that are at the centre of this stuff, Um, and that includes the rise of like white supremacy, uh, far right activity, um, you know, without grappling, and I think kind of like stripping out those companies, like breaking them up, um, and and actually bringing them under kind of proper regulation, whether that's and being forced to do moderation, you know, being forced to shut down kind of a Race hate groups, homophobic groups—you know—they can. Th- that's just a question of allocating resources. It's not, a, you know, it's a political question. It's not a question of like technology. This is, this is, you know. So there's the, there's that bit. There also is the bit of kind of like um, personal literacy, building, developing kind of collective literacy, uh, recognizing where what tropes are around. The stuff that seems shiny new like the new world order the q is just a you know it's kind of like a wrap around of previous kind of conspiracies um but that stuff's a really slow burn and it's like it's it's hard to do and i think people are finding like it tricky to then start having conversations with their friends or their peers or their family members um who started to be sucked down into things you know and there hasn't been a lot of like really solid there's not a lot of resources out there around that you know
0: but what do what do you think would be the response to that i mean the the two things you kind of set up there are the individual responsibility of being aware of how it works and watching out for stuff and then the like lobbying the companies change my approach is is a bit blunt which is like we all just need to get off facebook you know we all just need to get away from it but yeah I mean, I still I, I, still think maybe that's... I mean, especially reading about ex-executives that won't let their family use it and that delete their accounts and all the rest of it. But is that kind of throwing, throwing the baby out the bathwater because there is still... Do you think it's still... Do you think there's a positive social function that social media serves? Well, yeah, I, well, the,
1: without doubt. You know, do, does, like, you know... And so I think, like, historically, there's tended to be a kind of... Two poles of like, you know, tech utopianism and tech pessimism, you yeah. know, and, and one which is like, well, this is fundamentally going to improve our democracies, our quality of our lives, and you know, gives people more agency and, and all those kind of things. And certainly that was a lot of the, the sort of the superficial coverage of the role of social media around the time I was looking at the 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 uprising in Egypt in, in, in the early Arab Spring. Um and then you have other Uh, writers and academics are like focusing on kind of tech utopianism, the dark side of like data gathering, the impact of, of, and the role of kind of nefarious, uh, dark money in terms of kind of elections, how Trump kind of got elected, kind of being, being one of those things. And I think reality exists within both of those polls. Um, it's great that I'm able to keep in contact with friends who live in different parts of the world. Um. It's great that a uh, you know there has been to an extent, I uh, the ability of inf- that some you know of 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 actually information finding out stuff now right, um the capabilities are kind of there, um and I think the sort of the early kind of promise perhaps of like what what the internet is about is provided you know it's massive massively kind of useful, but at the same time. Like tools uh, will always be kind of used as tools, right? And so different people kind of use them. And it's like, I think capitalism's like to a degree, a uh, that question of like, you know, is it throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Like, if all of us got off Facebook, still like two billion people on it, you know, it's like and still will be used as, as whatever. So I think there's a usefulness perhaps in, in, you know, in getting off the platform, but I think there's also usefulness it's quite hard to monitor the platform without being on it you know so some of it some of the some of the things that could happen was like that you know facebook and youtube are, are forced to open up their proprietary software let's look at the code you know we're not trying to take people off your platform but let's see how this stuff works so how do we how do we research how can we like um better understand the impacts of what's happened. How do we understand the actual mechanics and dynamics of the product that you're selling us, you know? Um, and at currently these are all closed off within kind of proprietary knowledge. Um, and so there's a question around that, which is like, let's see how this stuff works. You know, I think though that there's the bit of like, um, breaking up some of the companies like spinning off kind of WhatsApp from Facebook and Facebook messenger, spinning off YouTube from Google. Like, these are really straightforward. They're not even left arguments, right? They're just, like, they're actually arguments that capitalists would make around, like, how do you break up kind of monopoly powers? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so how how do you do that, though? And do you think there's, I suppose it would be naive to think that the Irish state has any power, even though so many tech companies are based here, but do do we, would you think we have a particular responsibility or opportunity in Ireland to make that kind of stuff happen considering they are Officially based here.
1: um, Yeah. I mean, even even if it's like symbols matter, right? Action, you know, symbolic actions matter. Um, So I think if there's a kind of, yeah, a, like a future left-wing kind of government made really strong arguments around like, well, actually, yeah, we're going to, you know, A, we're going to tax you a lot more. We're going to argue that you'd be taxed a lot more elsewhere because actually this accumulation of wealth that you have is fucking obscene um, given the nature of the problems that we have. But also, when you come up with questions of literacy, like I, I can, I know for a fact that, you know, the, the people who sit at the heads of government in Ireland have no fucking idea how this stuff works, right? So it's impossible for them to make any kind of coherent kind of responses, inputs, observations, you know? And so you, you hear the sort of the quite Again, quite simplistic kind of stuff that gets trolled out like which essentially is very self referential it's like hey, oh, I get slagged off on Facebook and Twitter, so we need to do something about it. People are shouting at me, you know, and it's like it doesn't it doesn't really address the, this stuff at all um clearly there's been a bit of bit bit more of a concern around sort of the rise of homophobia racism um more recently, but still there doesn't seem to be any kind of way of of taking meaningful action that that actually fronts up to the organizations like facebook and twitter and says no we are gonna we're gonna take
0: actions unless you do something you know so that was mark malone i'm not going to add too much to it now because there's a lot there to sit with and to to think about and to talk about um but it's been a year since that conversation took place And it's worth asking, I think at this stage, do you Think in the last year, have social media platforms started to take responsibility for what happens on their platforms? And do we now have a way of holding them to account? It seems in some way that they they have, as a number of far-right groups have been removed from Facebook and YouTube and that. But the question is, is that the right approach? Is that the solution? You know, as, Ma- as Mark pointed out, once removed from a platform, they just set up another. And once a platform like Facebook or YouTube makes the decision to censor a political group based on a political idea, they now have set a precedent. Now they can censor other political groups, left and right. And they have done. They've, they've like, A number of left-wing users were banned or temporarily suspended over the last uh, number of months uh, purely for posting their own views on things. Is this what we want, is the question. Is the issue here that these social media giants allow hateful groups to use their platforms? Or is there a more fundamental issue here that these companies are shaping the conversations we're having and how we're having them? There's a small but grown far right movement to resist but there's also the domineering corporate culture that is now shaping how we live our lives. So the far right think that the coronavirus is a plot by the new world order to change society. An actual plot to change society, one that's not only commonly known, but is also totally legal and above board, is taking place and it's being arranged by social media companies. Now, whether it's intentional, whether it's their end goal or not, the result of their single-minded pursuit of profit is that our channels of communication with each other are constantly monitored and curated by algorithms that do not have our best interests built into them. We're not being convinced to wear masks and distance ourselves from each other because of a lie, but at the the same time we are being driven apart, segregated into separate camps and barriered from each other through a digital architecture, the internet. You can think of the internet as a giant city, because it is. The internet uses between 4-6% of the world's electricity, accounting for all the devices and data centres that make it up. It has a real bricks and mortar existence, or rather silicon and steel. Data centres and server farms all over the world. But if we imagine the internet as a city, then we can see the way social media platforms do things is simply the current style of architecture. The style of buildings are based on how good they look, aesthetic choices, but mainly on their function. Humans build structures to perform particular tasks. Houses look housey and are for doing housey, homey stuff. Shopping centres are loud and bright, designed to guide you in stimulate your senses, guide your actions, and then send you out again as quickly and or profitably as possible. The architecture of the internet has the same problems. Far too many of us use only one particular style of the internet, the social media model, and the algorithms those companies use, which are focused mainly on guiding where we spend our money, are acting as a toxic ooze surrounding us and pulling us in while keeping us lost to each other. So the conspiracy theorists aren't wrong that we are subjects of a huge social experiment it's just that the coronavirus isn't it our thoughts and emotions are being daily guided and manipulated through social media in a constant feedback loop everyone who uses social media creates an avatar of themselves an image that is supposed to represent them in, the di- in digital space the two-dimensional world of the internet this gives us the illusion that every other avatar we encounter is also another human being even though it could be a bot or a puppet account And at the same time, it distances us from the humanity of the real people who are on the other end of the the connection. More and more of our interactions with other people, mediated by screens, leaving us open to manipulation in subtle but very effective ways. And I'm sorry, but I have to end with questions, because that's all I'm left with. How do we keep ourselves in the real world and move our conversations back onto the street and into our homes? And how do we make and maintain trustworthy communication networks with each other and with communities all over the world i hope you've enjoyed that conversation with mark i certainly did i got a lot from it and um if you'd like to look at some of the work he's doing he does a bit of work with the far right observatory i believe and they recently uh, released an article on the utoya massacre if you're not familiar with the utoya massacre that was um a far right activist in norway um disguised himself as a cop and uh, went to a, a socialist uh, conference of the labour youth movement and m- m- killed like 77 kids um, and this article looks at the role social media played in uh, in kind of hosting the sort of content he was engaging with and producing uh, it's well worth a read it's, it's upsetting and uh, but, but, but revealing you know what I mean it's uh yeah just just read I'll, I'll post a link to that in uh in the comments so finally uh, if you have any uh, comments or questions about this episode please get in touch with me uh on instagram the instagram handle is turning earth pod or you can email me at turning earth radio at gmail.com And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, which I would hugely appreciate, it would be a great help, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash turning earth. And yeah, I think that's all. Talk to you soon.